Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-Pack and 50% off a Caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale, in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I was excited to get to talk to Shams Tranya of Real GM because he just covered the D-League Showcase, which was in Santa Cruz, and he also got to cover his first game at Oracle Arena with the Warriors, so it was fun to talk about that. We also hit on Clay Thompson's uh, explosion, his 37-point quarter, because that happened right after he left the Bay Area, and also some of the trends with the Midwest with the Bucks and the Bulls and everything else. So conversation runs about 25 minutes. Really enjoyed having him on. Thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it, Danny. So I figure the best place to start is something that you did that I've never been lucky enough to experience, and that's covering and attending the D-League Showcase. How was that experience? You know, for me, the D-League Showcase was mostly, you know, a good opportunity to connect with people around the league. You know, the games are the games are definitely a hard watch at times, but there's definitely good storylines story and players that, that obviously have an opportunity to get called up. I mean, Jermichael Green. Quincy Miller, Tyrus Thomas, Larry Drew, even before the showcase, you know, all those guys got call-ups. So I think it's it's a good opportunity for these guys. And in every game, there's usually a guy or two who has legitimate call-up opportunity. So I think it's it's a great opportunity for the players, especially if you can get playing time. Because I think, you know, I was I was talking to Justin Holiday at the Warriors game um, earlier in the week, and, and it was just like, we were talking about the showcase, and he mentioned, you know, the showcase is a great experience. But he he put in the caveat only if you get a chance to play. So I think that, from the player's point of view, I think that's definitely an important aspect. Yeah, that's a really good point about getting that. And also, I think the playing time is about getting the exposure. What would you say that the presence of the league at the showcase was? Was every team represented there? Most teams, I would say, were there. I saw an executive for most teams. The only team I don't believe I saw represented was the Lakers. Other than that, I mean, most executives were there. Most most of the teams either had their assistant GM or some sort of scout or you know basketball operations guy there. So I think most of the teams were well represented. Um, the Lakers are notorious for kind of being under the radar and away from events like these. So I was really surprised that they weren't represented. But other than that, I think you know for a lot of these executives, is an opportunity to see some of the guys who are getting exposure like we were just talking about. Because I think if you get playing time in a, in a spot like this with all these executives there, I think it's only a positive. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And it's also funny thinking about the Lakers because I believe when I went to Sloan and they were the only team that wasn't there. So I thought that that's a little bit huh. funny. But were there any players that stood out to you in terms of performance on the court or even dealing with them off the court? Yeah, I would say, you know, Tyrus Thomas definitely had some had a good showing. I, I felt like out of all the players who were playing in the D-League Showcase, you know, Reno in the Showcase definitely had their own type of buzz to them. Everyone was always excited to see what the score 
would be of their games on a nightly basis, how they run up the scores in every game and their style of play. But I, I would say from a player point of view, Tyrus Thompson was definitely a guy who, who brought his own type of buzz into the building. Um, I mean, the the venue was, I, from everything I heard, it was, a, it was a major upgrade over Reno. And I think I think the D would be smart to bring it back to Santa Cruz next season as well. But I think, you know, a player who, who brought his own buzz there was definitely Tyrus Thomas. He, from the start, when he played his first game, I believe it was Friday was his first game at the showcase last Friday. I think... There was an old, uh, there was a personal buzz for him uh, in the building. Everyone wanted to see how he would perform for his first time in a couple of years since playing basketball on an NBA court. So I think mostly it was him, uh, guys like Quincy Miller, and, and that whole Reno team. I would say um, that that really would show out. And then obviously you had guys like Isaiah Kanan, Archie Goodwin, who really didn't belong in the D League showcase, should have belonged on on their NBA roster. But guys, you, you knew watching them play had could basically get whatever they wanted on every single possession playing for the D-League teams. And that's a real storyline in a way with the D-League is that there it still has that talent disparity that you have those guys who are clearly NBA players, but that the next tier down, there are a few guys and you see them break out and you see those guys get 10-day contracts now that we're into that range, but mm-hmm. it hasn't, it doesn't have the depth of quality yet. And there are lots of reasons for that. I think the biggest one is the is the money difference between that and Europe. But it's still exciting. I was thinking about Tyrus Thomas, and he's somebody who has intrigue on a couple levels because not only does he have a name that people like us around the league know, but he has the intrigue of him being kind of out of out of NBA circles for a little while. So people just wanting to see what he was like now when we already saw how it worked out. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I think a lot of people were intrigued to see how he would play because not only has he been out of the league for a couple of years and, and kind of been out of the, you know, off the radar after being, you know, a top four draft pick in I believe, 2006. And then, you know, I mean, he, he was a major name um, playing for the Bulls. So I think not only did he have all that going for him, but he had a cyst in his, in his spine and, you know, just talking to someone at the showcase, he, he couldn't even move his shoulders, his arms above his shoulders for like a two to three month stretch after he got that surgery. I believe it was last year. Um, I'm, I'm not completely sure, but I know he, when he got it, he couldn't even move his arms above his shoulders. So I think, I think he, he's an, he was an incredible story for him to get called up. I think that was by far the leading um, story out of the showcase. And, you know, all the other guys who were called, Jermichael Green, uh, Quincy Miller, like I mentioned, Larry Drew before showcase, James Michael McAdoo uh, getting called up with the Warriors. And then, like you were talking about, I mean, the money difference, I, I still think the D-League has incredible talent compared to past seasons. There's a bunch of notable guys on most every team that you, you got to look out for as potential call-up candidates. But there's such a such a money difference. And, and the funny part is, you know, the last day or two of, of the showcase, the talk was who's, who now is going to leave the D-League and sign overseas. You already saw Josh Davis sign, and I actually reported it on the site, uh, Bryce Cotton, I mean, he was at the showcase and, and there are these teams from Italy and you know, different parts of the world, you know, trying to talk to him at the showcase. They're there scouting at the showcase and they're trying to get him to leave the D league. Um, but he stayed persistent and, and he's just trying to get that call up, but it's, it's difficult now because, you know, situations have to line up, the rosters have to line up for some of these NBA teams for, for calls. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah, and I think that's the challenge for me with why I'd like the D-League to be a little bit more lucrative is that 
there are a lot of players who want to stay in the U.S. who are right on that fringe, and I feel like losing those players to Europe makes it more likely that they're going to stay over there. And you see those success stories. You see guys that go over there and make a really good career for themselves, and I'm very happy for them, of course. But if we could keep those guys in the U.S., I think that it would increase the quality on the margins in the NBA at a very small cost to the league itself, especially if you're going to have teams involved in the D-League itself. You're exactly right. I and mean, there are agents, and who, who that's that's exactly what they talk about. You know, if, if the pay at the, in the D League was better, it would it would be to better players, better competition. And I think, I think that's what the D League has to focus on now. You know, trying to see if they can improve the pay level and 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 get these guys to stay because right now it's it's like Bryce Cotton. I mean, for for example, playing for Austin, he puts up 40 points in D League showcase with 11 rebounds, three assists, and he's like, "What more do I have to do in a showcase type of situation to get a call up?" So, and and you know, he's looking at overseas offers that are that are paying him, you know, his entire D League salary in a month. So, I, I think definitely the incentive has to be greater, and I think some of these players would 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 benefit from that for sure. Do you think that? From what you've experienced, that the D-League could also get more exposure within the NBA. One of the ideas I thought of, granted, I think the NBA itself should have more exposure, you know, have games on Saturday mornings on the basic networks, but the idea of maybe once a week picking a game of the week and having it on a deep, let's say a deep ESPN, but but just to get that little bit more, both for the league and also for the players involved, to make them think that they're going to be a little bit more visible. Yeah, I would say so, but it's it's tough. It would be tough to draw viewers, you know, let's say on ESPN two or, you know, ESPN news for, for viewers to tune into a game between Reno and Rio Grande Valley. But I I think definitely the NBA could do that for for their own network like NBA TV to try to get you know game of the week or something like that. I don't I don't think they do it on a, on a regular basis. I I always see reruns of games on NBA TV. I never see live games or or you know them. Them promoting it on their own network. You always see promotions for NBA games, obviously, but you never see it for DLE games. And I think, I think because I think the talent is good, especially you know when, when Reno has Quincy Miller and then you know the Vipers, the the Rockets affiliate. I mean, they're just loaded. I mean, they have you know five to six NBA caliber players, players who have who have been in the NBA within the past year. So I think you know getting games like that would definitely be beneficial for the league. And the other component of that to me is from the NBA perspective, NBA TV more specifically, is that it would give them opportunities to do some fun experiments in terms of the on-air stuff, so the production, to, so trying different announce teams, maybe trying to integrate statistics or things in the broadcast just to try it because you're not going to have that huge audience, but you're going to have people that are really into it because that's who's going to watch the D-League and to you know try things. So if you, a guy like Chris Webber or Gary Payton or whoever, if they want to try their hand at announcing, they can gain that experience in a lower risk setting and just see how it works or even try different style booths, maybe two players or maybe two players and a play-by-play guy or however they want to do it just to see because I can see with how few broadcasts they do that it's a lot higher risk to do it with a full-on NBA game. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think really could also be a good experience for a lot of media broadcasters to, to get their reps in. Um, I, I think Chris Webber is a guy who's kind of, you know, solidified himself as a, as a top level broadcaster, but yeah, I mean, I know, you know Gary Payton for a while trying to get into that field and now he's kind of doing analysis type stuff for Fox, but I mean, there are plenty of guys up. I mean, a guy like Grant Hill, he's an excellent, you know, 
he was an excellent player. He's a he's an ex- excellent guy on on inside stuff, an excellent host on that show, and you know he's, he's probably gonna be a terrific broadcaster. But I think he's definitely a guy who who could get some reps in um, wherever in a, in a lower level setting. And like now you see him go to the three man booth with him, Reggie Miller, Marv Albert uh, for that recent Bull Spurs game the other night. You know because it's hard to to just jump in right after playing and, and get into a setting where you're broadcasting games. So I think ideally it could all, it could definitely be a experimental aspect in that way. Yeah, I, I think experimental is a good word for it. And the other the other thing that you did recently that I, I think would be fun for listeners is that you got to cover your first game at Oracle, which is where the Warriors play. And it's always interesting for me because I'm somebody who not only grew up in the area but who's covered the team for so many years to talk to people about the experience from somebody who's never really been there before to see what they what the, how it compares to the other places you've been. Yeah, I mean, I had high expectations going in. I, I mean, just hearing from every you know hearing everything that most people in the building were just talking about. I mean, it, it gave high expectations. Just even watching. The Warriors in the playoffs the past couple seasons when they're on national TV as well. I mean, that place just, it, it has its own energy, and, and it's incredible because you go to games around the league, and, you know, there are a bunch of fans that are just entrenched onto their phones. But it was interesting go, going to the Warriors game. It was, you know, everyone was into the game. Unfortunately, the game I went to, it was a you know, 35-point deficit within the you know first couple quarters. So, you know, it's tough for guys to maintain, you know, it's tough for fans to maintain their their level of enthusiasm, but I think just from the start, you could just tell everyone everyone in the building was into it, and and it definitely had a incredible vibe. It's it's something that I want to hopefully experience in the playoffs. I definitely think the the Warriors are a team that could go to the finals. So, you know, experiencing that in the in the playoffs and in a potential final, I think that that would be even greater. You know, I was hoping going into that Nuggets, hope it would be like ninety five, ninety three with like a minute left, I think that would be, you know, Oracle at its peak. So I definitely hope to cover some close games there. Well, it also got close to its peak last night. We're recording this on Saturday and Clay Thompson just set the single quarter scoring record. And that's yep. another way that an arena can pop is for not, not necessarily something close, but for something historic. And I mean, I don't know if you've had the chance to watch it yet, but it was really incredible. Yeah, no, I saw, I saw the highlights, especially, um, I mean, they were, they were, channels NBA TV ESPN that were just showing his the quarter alone and just you know with the tracker on on the on the side of the screen of him getting the 37 points in the quarter it's remarkable I mean Steve Kerr said it best I mean Michael Jordan did some amazing things he never did that scoring 37 points in a quarter so I mean it was it was incredible and I think it, it definitely should solidify him as an all-star at least off the bench as a reserve uh next week yeah, I mean, there's been some talk, obviously, I run in warrior circles about how he should start, and you can make an argument that, you know, he's been a very important part of this Warriors team, but, I mean, Harden, to me, Harden and Curry are the two clearest-cut MVP candidates right now, and if you can start them both because Kobe's not going to play, I think you have to do that. No, I agree. I think Harden probably would be my starter as well, alongside in the backcourt, I think he's but but the thing is it's it's gonna it's gonna be interesting because I think Harden and Thompson have good chances to get voted in at the All Star game. So it's gonna come down to Kerr deciding who to start alongside Curry. In my opinion, I think it'll come down to for Kerr. The decision is gonna be either Harden or or Thompson. I don't think a lot of people are talking about that yet. You know, is he gonna start his own guy in Thompson? 
alongside Curry make the you know Splash Brothers backcourt in the All Star game, or is he going to go with Harden, who's probably a little bit more deserving than Thompson, having a much you know better overall season on a on a team that that has really needed him uh, to carry them, especially with Dwight Howard missing games here and there, banged up right now, not as 100% self. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see who Kerr decides. And obviously it's super early, but the other component that I always think about with teams that we are pretty confident are going to make the playoffs is that while you, there's a nice storyline with starting your own guys and everything like that, We've already seen this season that James Harden's a guy who can hold a grudge, and he had a huge game against Oklahoma City. I feel like he's getting ready to, to have some against the Blazers after what happened last time. And I think, though those teams already have a little bit of a history with Mark Jackson and the three-point record, it would add a little bit of sizzle to a potential Warriors-Rocket series to have Kerr, quote-unquote, snub James Harden and not have him start the All-Star game. <laughs> You're exactly right, and and I'm actually hoping that that happens. I think that would lead to a not only an interesting storyline during the All Star game with Thompson starting over Harden, Thompson and Curry starting as the Splash Brothers, and and but then that rivalry. I mean, I think you know, Golden State. There are a couple teams in the in the West that I think you know kind of yeah. I, if I'm Golden State, I would kind of I would you know I'll be leery if I had to face you know a team like. San Antonio and yes, even the Clippers. I, I know a lot of people are, are down on the Clippers right now, but I think, you know, just their size, it's always given Golden State an issue in the playoffs and those teams have a long history like 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 just like Houston, but except on a much higher level, you know, those teams have played in the playoffs the past couple seasons, seven game series. So I think I think, you know, the Clippers and San Antonio Spurs are the two thing two teams that if I'm Golden State and I have to play them in the playoffs, I'm just I'm just leery about it. Just just from the history there you know, Kerr has hasn't been there for either of those playoff series, but I think the players have, and 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 I think they're all cognizant of that. The point that I would make on that is that you always look for one of the, there are lots of reasons that teams can have trouble in the playoffs, but one of the things that I think the Rockets have done that's different this year than last year is that they have two solid perimeter defenders now, and Beverly's mm-hmm. given Curry problems for years, and the Spurs have that too because the Spurs can slide Danny Green over onto Curry, and then they can mm-hmm. put Kawhi on Clay. And what those teams have is just the right kind of pieces to cause problems. That's not necessarily saying, oh, they're going to beat them or anything like that, but it's the type of thing that makes it difficult. And once you've established that, and that's the other component with the Clippers is, while I don't think of them in the same kind of caliber as the other ones, is that Chris Paul just ruins opponent point guards. I mean, that's just what he does. He's a great defender, and he's a hard cover on offense. And so... If, even if he's not 100% of what he was in his physical prime, just because he's a little bit, you know, he's he's on the on the backside of his athletic prime, and that's fine. That everybody ha- that happens to everybody. But when a team runs through their point guard, which the Warriors do a little bit less now than they used to, but it's still Stephen Curry's offense, you always think about the guys who can shut that down a little bit more, and that is the reason that the Clippers should give the Warriors at least a little bit of pause. Yeah, I mean, listen... Golden State is having an excellent season. I think they're, if, if the playoffs started today, they're clearly the favorites out of the Western Conference. But, but I mean, the Clippers have just, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, I mean, historically have been able to outplay. You know, just going back to the playoffs, obviously, Draymond Dr- Green had one of his breakout games this season against the Clippers. And, and I'm sure you remember him, you know, kind of taunting Blake on the three-pointer in that game early. You know, I believe it was, Really early in the season, so I think it was. I was there. Those, yeah, yeah. So I mean, those teams have a long, long history, and I think 
the history shows that Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan is just a really tough cover for Golden State's front line. I think, you know, everything changes if, if Andrew Bogue gets healthy. I think if, if Golden State is fully healthy, I don't think there's a team in the West that can beat him. But I think if, if you get an injury here or there, I, I definitely think Golden State is, has, has shown to be, to be beatable for sure. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair opinion to have. We'll turn more towards the Midwest because that's where you're based. Has there, have there been any teams in that kind of neck of the woods that have really stood out to you in a positive or negative way the last couple of weeks? I think, you know, Chicago being able to turn it around the past couple of games, beating San Antonio at home. I was there for that game. I think it was, it was a critical win. You know, San Antonio, especially in the first half, it's not like, I mean, not just the first half, but like the first three quarters, it's not like they were playing bad. The Bulls were just outplaying them. Um, excellent on defense is, is as well as they've played probably all season. I think that's the type of defense Tom has been, has been preaching for. So I think, you know, those quality wins beating San Antonio and then going to Dallas and winning. But Milwaukee just being able to stay in the six to seven range in the playoff race, I think that's where they're going to be. I think they're probably going to finish seventh. So I think it's it, just for them to be to be where they are above 500, Brandon Knight being talked about as a possible all-star candidate, I think it's been a successful season for them. Um, Indiana, I think, you know, it's it, they are where, where everyone thought they'd be. You know, they're hovering below 500. Um, it's been a tough season without Paul George, but I think I think they're a team that's definitely going to make a push at some point for sure. You know, they they got George Hill back the other day, so I think they're a team that that's going to that that still has a push left in them. So I think those those are three teams that I'm still paying attention to in the Midwest. Yeah, the last spot in the East is really compelling because you have all these teams that are all okay and they're in, in different levels, but you can yeah, make an Detroit, argument Detroit, yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, that it would be it'd be big for any of them to make the dance. I mean, there's a possibility that Boston makes it. I don't think they're going to. I think they're gonna trade off their entire team, but if they <laughs> if they can do it, there's there's a dynamic there and the Pacers theoretically I was talking with somebody recently about the crazy idea you would probably know this better than I would about if the Pacers made the playoffs whether it would be even remotely possible for Paul George to play but there are all these kind of circumstances and yeah obviously the West is better especially at the bottom of the bracket and all that kind of stuff but the the intrigue in the East is actually kind of fun because it's so different than what we've seen before yeah you know I, I feel like the past few years um, especially in the mid 2000s, there was always a race near the end of the season for the eighth seed. They, that kind of you're right, it kind of dwindled the past few seasons. But I feel like in the mid 2000s, I mean, Atlanta was always a team that everyone was paying attention to that might sneak in. And, and I remember they snuck in in 08 and gave the Celtics a seven game run. So I think you know the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference has always been something that's that's come down right to the wire. And it's not like it's a it's a very you know. I mean, star-studded race. I mean, these teams are probably going to finish well below 500, but in the Eastern Conference, that's good enough to to get into the playoffs, like you said, and, and get into the dance. So I think, I think you know, it'll come down to probably Brooklyn, Detroit, Charlotte. I think those three teams are probably going to be in it. Indiana, maybe. So I think probably those four teams are is probably going to come down to. As you brought up the Bucks, and I can't believe I wasn't the first thing I asked when we talked about it, but what it what have you been seeing from Giannis this year? I think he he's steadily improving. I don't think he's he's improved to a level where you know he's he's an all star, obviously. But I think he's steadily improving. And the funny thing is, a lot of people, a lot of you know scouts I was talking to at the showcase were just talking about his brother. 
and Tanaka to the Kumbo playing for Westchester, the New York Knicks affiliate. And, and these two guys, these two brothers don't still are just grasping, you know, different in, you know, nuances of the game. So I think it's, it, they're only, they're both only going to get better. And I think, you know, Giannis has shown incredible flashes. He's, sh- he's shown that he can be a point forward at times. So I, you know, I mean, is Giannis an all-star? Is he, is he going to be an all-star next year? I'd, I'd probably say no, but I think he's he's getting closer and closer to one just from every game he plays. Do you think that Thanasis is going to end up being an NBA player? I, I think from what I've seen, I think so. Yeah, you know, you know, I reported I was I was on his case, you know, during the summer um, when he decided to sign to Westchester instead of going going over to Europe. You know, the plan always was for him to spend a, a, one more season in the D League, which he is right now, and then and then them talking on his rookie contract this upcoming summer. So I think that's still the plan. I know New York has, you know, as soon as they opened up spots on their roster with the trades, you know, getting Lou Amundsen, Lance Thomas, and, and Langston Galloway to 10-day contract, you know, the talk was, you know, maybe they can drop them and then sign Tanasha to, to his rookie deal. But I just, I just don't think New York would do that. I think they want to wait to start the clock on his deal over the summer. It wouldn't make sense for them to start the clock right now. So, I think for sure he'll probably get his next deal over the summer for sure. It would have been so much fun if he ended up going in the second round to the Bucks because I I don't I don't know how they would have done the jerseys for it, but I just think especially because it looks like from what I've seen that they're pretty close that it would be fun for them to be teammates. Yeah, you know it's 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 a scenario that definitely came up for Tenacious, but I don't think um, I don't think it was ever close to happening in terms of the Bucks deciding to draft him. I think. I think he was going late in the in the second round in New York. I mean, it made sense for them. They've been looking for a wing, uh, an active wing for a while now, and he showed in the summer league that he can, he can defend on the perimeter pretty well, and, and he's still just growing. And it's crazy. They, they've completely changed most of his mechanics on his shot in the D-League, and he's still, you know, trying to get his legs under him in that way too. So, you know, him, Giannis, I mean, they've both got a long way to go, but it's it's crazy how talented they already are. Okay, well, thanks so much for taking the time. Pleasure having you on, and best of luck for the next couple weeks. For sure, Danny. Great talking to you, man. Thanks again to Shams Tranya for taking the time to come on. You can read him at RealGM, and you can also follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow at S-H-A-M-S-C-H-A-R-A-N-I-A. Pleasure having him on. I I love talking with him, and his excitement for the D-League was really fun because that's something that I haven't talked about much on this podcast but really enjoy thinking about and talking about from time to time. Uh, Hope to have on some exciting guests in the future, still working on the calendar and everything else like that, but your input always makes the show better. You can hit me up on Twitter at DanielLaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or you can email me at daniel.larue at realgm.com. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can. I really do appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love a sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift. 